that the question, what kind of cities do we want to live in? How do we want our cities to be? Cannot be divorced from the question of what kind of people we want to be. What kind of humanity we wish to create amongst ourselves and how we want to create it. And it is that mutual constitution of the city and who we are and what we are that is something which is, I think, again, very important to reflect upon. This is The City, an hour dedicated to a critical discussion of urban issues. And welcome to the program here on CITR 101.9 FM, syndicated on CJSF 90.1 FM and available as a podcast at thecityfm.org. I'm Andy Longhurst. One in five shelter users are youth. 25 to 40 percent of youth experiencing homelessness self-identify as LGBTQ and 40 to 70 percent of homeless youth have mental health issues compared to 10 to 20 percent of housed youth. On the program, I'm discussing the crisis of youth homelessness in Canada and how we might better respond to the problem. Dr. Stephen Gates is the author of a new report, and he is my guest on the program this hour. You're tuned into the city, an hour dedicated to critical urban discussions. Stay with us.
up when the feeling strikes you I'll call you up when I got nothing to do Call me up when you're feeling lonely I'll call you up when you're feeling that way too Call me up when the feeling strikes you I'll call you up when I got nothing to do Call me up when you're feeling lonely I'll call you up when I'm feeling that way too Call me up And a track from a 2005 uh, album, Immaculate Machine, and that was the track Phone Number. Thanks so much for tuning in. That's actually a Victoria, uh, formerly a Victoria, BC uh, band, and that's the city I will be in uh, in a few days, uh, headed over to the National Campus and Community Radio Conference. So this is an annual uh, gathering of um, uh, campus and community radio programmers, volunteers, um, staff, students, um, people that are involved in making uh, campus and community radio happen um, and are involved in all facets of of producing uh, what you're hearing, um, not only on CITR, but on stations um, all across this country. Um, And it's a pretty fun experience and uh, I'm quite looking forward to it. So uh, more more to come on that, and uh, if you're tuning in here on CATR um, and syndicated here on CJSF, uh, you may be hearing more about uh, the National Campus and Community Radio Conference in coming days and uh, report backs uh, in coming weeks. So uh, listen for that. On the program, so again, thanks for thank you for tuning in. This is the City Now. We're dedicated to critical urban discussions. I'm Andy Longhurst. On the surface, youth homelessness may seem to be an intractable problem, Stephen Gates writes in a new report. In many Canadian cities, the sight of young people panhandling or sleeping in parks may be unsettling. But by 2014, it probably doesn't shock most people. It it seems that we have been dealing with this problem for a very long time. Because of its persistence, the solutions to youth homelessness can can appear elusive, writes Stephen Gates. And Dr. Stephen Gates is Associate Professor in the Faculty of Education at York University in Toronto. And he's the author, or he's the director of the Canadian Homelessness Research Network. And he's the author of a new report, Coming of Age, Reimagining the Response to Youth Homelessness in Canada. And I spoke with Professor Gates in Paris by phone. I want to first ask you to to define youth homelessness. Well, homeless youth would be uh, young people between the ages of 13 and 24 who are living without adult support and without stable, safe housing. Okay. And, uh, and I guess what are some of the, uh, the reasons that, um, that youth are homeless? Well, in 
when you talk about youth homelessness, one of the things that's really important to understand that is that it's very different than adult homelessness in terms of what causes or leads to the homelessness, but also the conditions that young people are going to experience when they're on the streets. Typically, when people that I talk to talk about youth homelessness, they think about runaways or uh, young people that get kicked out of the house. Oftentimes, people think that it's just young people who are difficult teens or bratty teens who don't like doing the dishes or whatever and wind up leaving home for fairly frivolous reasons. Um, but that's actually quite far from the truth. Um, well, there will be some young people who leave home because of just they got in a fight with their parents or whatever. Usually it doesn't take too long of being on the streets, um, being at risk of getting beat up, being hungry, not knowing where you're going to sleep or whether you're going to be safe or wearing the same pair of socks for a week. After about a week of that, those who leave for frivolous reasons usually are going to go home. The young people who do wind up homeless for any length of time, the problems tend to be much more serious. And I would group them into three main categories of reasons. The first would be individual and relational factors. So we know from research that the majority of young people leave home because of conflicts with family or caregivers. And of that group, a huge percentage, between 60 or 70 percent, 60 and 70 percent, leave home because they've experienced um, interpersonal violence, uh, abuse, uh, either physical, sexual, or emotional abuse uh, at the hands of caregivers or other family members. Um, young people also will wind up leaving home because of mental illness or addictions issues or disabilities either on their own part or other family members will have these characteristics so family problems are one of the big categories and that's where we tend to focus when we look at youth homelessness but i want to mention a couple of other things that are really important that provide context for understanding what might lead to that the first is or you or so like first you've got the interpersonal family conflict but related to that and underlying that are major structural problems so we know for instance that um, when people live in extreme poverty where there's not enough food where there's not enough money um, that that destabilizes family relationships and makes it so that young people either have to leave home or uh, that their families can't support them anymore. Um, other structural factors that are important to think about when you talk about youth homelessness are the fact that today it's different than it was 20 or 30 years ago, and the ability of young people to transition to independence is undermined because there aren't the good jobs that were available back then where people could leave home and get a full-time living wage. Um, and housing isn't affordable. So, you know, a young person, even with the best of intentions, who moves out when they're 16 or 17, isn't likely to wind up on the landing on their feet. They just won't have the resources or the access to employment to do that. So these structural factors are key. And the final one I want to mention about a structural factor is discrimination. We know well from research that people who experience racism or homophobia uh, are going to be at a disadvantage in school and employment. And Homophobia in particular is a big driver of youth homelessness because it's actually, I would argue, one of the last 
allowable forms of discrimination where you have schools or teachers or parents are allowed to discriminate against young people who are or uh, non-straight. So that's the second category of causes. And the third one I would say is um, institutional systems failures uh, that we kind of dump people into homelessness when they're young. And the biggest one would be um, young people leaving care. That is child protection. There's lots of research that shows between 40 and 50% of young people who are homeless were either in foster care or group homes at some point. And so something's going terribly wrong with the transition from care. And again, I would argue that this is partly because of, um, you know, the changes in our world. Uh, Our child protection laws and practices were based on what the world was like in the 50s and 60s, and it's not the same anymore. So again, those things I mentioned about inability to get paying jobs or the uh, lack of affordable housing, this makes it really hard for young people to leave care when they're 18 years old and to just wind up on, you know, with no supports at all. So all of those things together, then, you know, the systems failures, the structural factors and the individual and family problems work together to, to lead many young people to be homeless or on the streets. And every young person's story is going to be a little unique, but all those things have to go together. We have to recognize the way in which they go together and not just sort of focus on individual stories or family problems because... Uh, I mean, if you ask anybody why something happens to them, we tend to personalize it. You know, I made a mess or my family was this or I had this happen to me. You know, nobody says I wound up homeless because the government of Canada canceled the national housing strategy in 1993 or something like that, right? right? So we have to look at those individual factors, but we also have to look at broader things that happen in society that put people in a very difficult position. What is the state of youth homelessness in Canada? Well, I would say that we've seen, uh, you know, the numbers uh, probably really escalated in the 1990s. Right now in Canada, on any given night, there's probably about 6,000 young people who are homeless. And over the course of a year, uh, 35,000. We have no real way of knowing whether the situation's getting worse or better based on statistics because we don't have good data on that. Um but one thing we can surmise is because we're doing the same things that we've been doing over the last 10 or 15 years and uh, because the economy is getting more difficult for young people, youth unemployment is higher, I would say with a fair degree of certainty that the situation isn't getting any better. It could be getting worse, but it certainly isn't getting better for young people who are homeless. Has this changed over time? You mentioned a number of different factors, including structural, um, political, economic factors, and and um, also just the individual circumstances that, that also certainly matter as well. Um, but have some of these things, maybe broader picture issues, um, some of the structural factors, um, you've spoken to some of them a bit, but, but maybe could you talk more about um, how this has affected uh, youth homelessness in Canada over the years and maybe also with that, if um, service providers and um, the nonprofit sector, um, how how they've responded to some of these larger forces, um, and are they equipped to deal with them? And I guess maybe more bluntly, should they be the ones that are having to deal with all of these issues? 
Well, I think uh, one of the things about homelessness in Canada is, is it's a social crisis where we can actually kind of map the history of what happened. And, and so um, we know that throughout the 80s and the 90s, there were a lot of shifts in Canada, in the economy and in policy that led to quite an increase in homelessness. We canceled our national housing strategy. We shifted our approach to housing from that kind of direct government investment to using um, the tax system and uh, monetary policy to, with the hope that that would produce more affordable housing. And in fact, the evidence is out. It's clear now that that did the opposite, that we've had a shrinking supply of affordable housing over the last several decades. And at the same time, we've also had um, a uh, decline in income for a large number of Canadians. Um, so, so those broad issues are there that, that led to a real kind of rise and almost an explosion in homelessness in the 1990s to the present. And with that came also a rise in youth homelessness, where we also had cutbacks to social programs and spending. We still live in that era where we magically believe that Austerity is going to produce positive social outcomes, and there's really no evidence of that at all. Um, so that's the context in which the homelessness problem in Canada emerged. And what we've done since then, which is typical of most countries when a crisis emerges, is that we've relied on emergency services. That's been the key center of our response. Um, and emergency services like shelters, soup kitchens, day programs, those are always going to be important. But you can't build your whole response around that. Um, I always use the example of you know, other kinds of emergencies. Um, in 2003, in, you know, in British Columbia, there was a major fire outside of Kelowna that moved to the city and houses started burning down and eventually they had to evacuate 23,000 people from Kelowna. And so the people in that situation, because houses were burning, they would move in with relatives or friends if they could or they would uh, rent motels, but those filled up pretty quick. And then the remaining people were put in hockey rinks and um, community centers on mats, right? So we had an emergency response to that crisis. Now, if you went back in 2014 to Kelowna and went into the local hockey rink and there were still people sleeping on mats, you would say, my God, we blew that. <laughs> you know, we really needed that. It's good we had the emergency response, but that's not a solution to the problem. And that's how I kind of feel like we've dealt with homelessness in Canada. After all these years, we still rely very heavily on emergency services. And again, they're really important, but they should be there or an emergency, not as permanent housing. Um, and so Canada has for a long time kind of lagged behind other countries on this, uh, partly because the crisis in Canada happened later. And what you find in most countries is that when the homelessness problem emerges, that's where people go right away because you see that person lying in the street and you, in the winter and it's like, we have to do something about that. But eventually you start to think, wow, maybe we should do something differently. Um, you know, we need the emergency response, but we need two other pieces to the puzzle. The first is we need to focus on prevention, which is to stop people from becoming homeless in the first place. And then at the other end, we really need to focus on models of accommodation and support that will ensure that people get the housing that they need 
and the supports that they need so that they don't become homeless again. That's where a big effort should be and not just on emergency services, which are, you know, actually quite expensive in the long run. Um, so we need to make that shift. And uh, I think people are starting to come around to that. And some communities, they're making progress on, on doing exactly that. And around youth homelessness, we really need to make that shift too. But do it in a way that makes sense for young people. You know, again, young people, youth homelessness is different from adult homelessness. The causes are different. Many young people are going through considerable developmental changes, whether it's cognitively, physically, socially, emotionally, and, and these kind of changes have an impact on decision-making, and, 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 and also young people don't have the same access to services and supports that adults do. So we need a solution that focuses on what young people need and uh, ensures that they get housed with the supports they need as rapidly as possible, because the one thing the research shows is the longer that young people remain mired in homelessness, the worse they do over the long run. The more likely they are going to experience exploitation, um, the more likely they're going to have worsening mental health and addictions issues, these kind of things. So we can't let young people stay mired in those emergency services for years. I think it's morally wrong and it's not productive and I think, you know, from an economic perspective, one could probably argue that it's going to cost us a lot more money in the long run. Mm -hmm. So we need to change things.
And this is The City here on CITR 101.9 FM, CITR.ca, and syndicated on CJSF 90.1 FM. And you may be listening to this as a podcast coming to you from thecityfm.org. You can find uh, this program and uh, past podcasts at thecityfm.org. I'm Andy Longhurst. Thanks so much for tuning in. On the program, uh, a conversation with Dr. Stephen Gates, and he is an associate professor in the Faculty of Education at York University in Toronto, and he's the director of the Canadian Homelessness Research Network. And uh, we're continuing in the second half of the program, continuing our discussion um, with uh, Dr. Stephen Gates about a new report called Coming of Age, Reimagining the Response to Youth Homelessness in Canada. And I think a really important uh, report because it's meant to stimulate a debate and discussion around um, how we how we address youth homelessness, which um, is uh, I think is a significant issue. And just to throw a few um, through fa- a, th- a few facts at you, uh, one in five shelter users are youth, um, and twenty five to forty percent of youth experiencing homelessness uh, self identify as LGBTQ. Um, and additionally, uh, we know that forty to seventy percent of homeless youth have mental health issues compared to ten to twenty percent of housed youth. So these are significant um, signif- significant issues and I think uh, really deserve us to rethink. And uh, in the second part of the discussion, we're going to hear about some of those particular uh, recommendations coming out of this report um, and uh, continue that conversation about youth homelessness in Canada and the solutions to it. We're going to hear first a track from Carolyn Mark. Uh, she's based out of uh, Vancouver Island. This is off of her new album, um, and it is called The Queen of Vancouver Island. And we're going to hear that uh, title track. Um, and before, um, you also heard from Pink Mountaintops off the new album Get Back and the track Ambulance City. So thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, be sure to follow the program on Twitter uh, with the handle the city uh, underscore FM. Again, the city underscore FM. And also on Facebook by searching the city critical urban discussions. Again, that website thecityfm.org. We're going to continue our conversation, Youth Homelessness in Canada, with Dr. Stephen Gates. up to the chorus Cause everybody wants to sing along
I've been waiting so long For the movie to start And the song to end Yeah, start the movie And the song speak specifically to uh, some of the aspects um, within this proposed framework uh, that you that you set out um, so you talk about prevention emergency services and accommodation and supports uh, can you give us a, a sense of some of the specific um, recommendations within each of these categories well one of the things we did with this report coming of age was to look at internationally and across Canada at what are some really good evidence-based practices to address homelessness. So not just pull ideas out of the air, but what do we know that works? And so we know a fair bit about preventing youth homelessness and what we need to do. So some of that means working upstream and uh, dealing with poverty and and, uh, violence against children, that kind of thing. But it also means doing some things that are very practical that we could be doing in Canadian communities. The places that I think really do the best on prevention get into schools, right? So we know this for sure, that every young person who's homeless was at school at one time or another, and very likely there was an adult in that school that knew something was going wrong. And if you talk to teachers, if you know any, just ask them, could you tell, you know, with your grade, whether it's grade 3 or grade 11, somebody that you think might be homeless eventually, and they'll be able to tell you. But teachers don't have the supports. So in countries like Australia and the UK and Scotland, they actually have um, youth workers go into schools who are connected to the homelessness sector, who work with teachers, who work with students, and identify when there's a problem, and they'll intervene early on. And that might mean doing some family mediation work or support with the family, um, because sometimes families struggle with what to do. It might also mean helping the teachers, help the student. It might also mean um, getting the young person out of that situation if it's not safe and get them into housing with supports as soon as possible. Other preventive strategies that are really interesting are things like host homes, which I know in Victoria they do and in Ontario, but are really big in the UK. And this is a shelter diversion strategy where you um, help young people in that moment of crisis where they get kicked out or they run away and you get them into a, commu- a home in the community um, where they then uh, pro- are provided shelter and food, but also get intensive case management that's going to help them figure out what to do and help their families figure out what to do. All of these things are going to be important if, in, and need to be in a coordinated system so that anytime there's a crisis either in play or that one can see is on the horizon, the supports come into place. And so... With that prevention model, again, you're going to want to kind of put it in communities, put it in schools, um, 
with the goal of doing two major things. One is to help young people return home if it's safe and give those families the support they need or to help young people get into accommodation that is safe and also is local because this is one of the big problems with our response to youth homelessness is that most of the emergency services we have, we concentrate in in major cities in downtown areas. And the second you take a young person out of a suburban area or a small town and take them downtown, not only are they now losing their family, but they're losing their friends, they're losing adult connections and supports, they're using all those nat- losing their community, their school, they're losing all those natural supports that are going to help any young person move forward in their life. So prevention models should really work to provide young people and their families with the kinds of supports they need to keep them in place, to keep them in the community. At the other end, we need models of accommodation and support in place so that young people don't wind up mired in the shelter system. And we know a lot about this, actually. Um, A really good model for transitional housing for youth is called the foyer, which is one of the best evidence-based practices there is. It's... um, originated in Europe but has been adapted extensively in Australia and what it is is it's a transitional housing model where young people get support for uh, two years or more. Um, They get support going back to school because many young people wind up leaving school when they're homeless. Um, They get life skill support and learn how to take care of themselves, um, learn how to move forward in their lives and there's housing first approaches that adopt the same kind of approach, which is to give young people the supports they need uh, at the same time they have shelter. All of these models of accommodation support are modeled on what I think would make sense to anybody, which is what does any 16, 17, 18-year-old need? We have to stop coming up with these solutions that are totally different from what my children or anybody's children need. Young people need supports. They need to stay in school. They need access to employment. They need a chance to try things out. They need meaningful relationships, chances to to uh, grow and take risks, but also to fail and not be punished for it, to learn and grow. And this is a different kind of equation than we normally think about with homelessness, where the goal is more on, like, let's get you independent as quickly as possible. I think with young people, the focus shouldn't be a transition to independence so much as a transition to adulthood. We should build all our supports in terms of accommodation models around what is reasonable and makes sense for a young person to help them grow into an adult where they're going to be healthy, they're going to live well, they're going to be able to achieve their dreams. And that's what you'd want for any young person, why we would treat a homeless youth any differently. Are th- it doesn't make sense. Are there distinct challenges um, in urban areas as opposed to maybe more suburban or rural communities across Canada? And I'm wondering, uh, this is more of a general question, but are there uh, is there a, a youth um, a youth angle to this? But also, can you speak more broadly to how homelessness is experienced um, across um, cities and, and regions and areas across the country? Well, it's. It really depends. It's, it's There's a lot of variation across Canada. I think in a lot of big cities, you might have more services and supports, but you also have different kind of risk factors. Um, the bigger the city is, a city like Toronto, for instance, will have 60 different emergency shelters and 60 
day programs, but it's not really an integrated model of support, and people can easily get lost in that system. Smaller communities can, um, you know, might have fewer supports, um, but it's easier to kind of coordinate things. In the rural and small town areas, they might not have any supports at all, which it can be a problem um, because then young people have to leave the areas. So there, there are challenges and opportunities that come with different size communities. Um, other things that are important to think about are, you know, in some cities there's no affordable housing. So in Vancouver, of course, the, the cost of housing is prohibitive for any young person, uh, including young person who's homeless. Um, you know, and some cities don't have much housing that's rental at all. So there are lots of differences and variations in that kind of context that matter. Um, there's also big differences in terms of how communities approach youth homelessness. Um, and finally, I'd say we have to recognize that there are, there need to be different approaches for different groups of young people. So we know, for instance, in Canada, that Aboriginal youth are overrepresented in the homeless population. That suggests we need uh, culturally appropriate services for Aboriginal youth, whether it's a small town or a big city. Um, I mentioned before that many young people who experience homelessness are lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgendered. We need to ensure that the services that they access don't further marginalize them through discrimination. So, so there are a lot of differences in Canada. Um, some communities, I think, are making more progress than others, but I think as a country... We have a long ways to go, but at the same time, there seems to be what I hear across Canada. Is there's a lot of enthusiasm about doing things differently. So people are are getting on board with the idea that we should approach this problem differently. What stands in the way of having uh, the recommendations from this report uh, realized? Well, th- there are lots of different things that can get in the way. One is is that people can be used to doing things in a particular way, and so resist change um, because they don't want to. And so that often happens in communities. Um, People, I think, as a rule, uh, as much as they hate the present circumstances, often hate change even more. Um, So that's one thing. But I think more importantly, I think if you had all levels of government working in alignment uh, with the recognition that we need to do something about youth homelessness, that we need to invest in this, and that this is going to be good for everybody, for all our communities, and this is going to pay dividends over the long run, I think you'd see some big changes because we need all those levels. We need the government of Canada there at the table to fund services and, and, and invest in affordable housing. The provinces are key because they control things like child protection uh, a lot of the drivers of youth homelessness, the education system, health care, mental health, all these kind of things. And the communities are where the services are delivered. And so I think we need to align all of these things and have, you, you know, it'd be great in, in BC to have a provincial strategy on youth homelessness or Ontario. Alberta is getting ready to roll out its strategy and it's going to be, I think every province should have a look at what they're doing because they're developing a real integrated model of service to address youth homelessness. So that's what's getting in the way is, you know, not that we don't have the ideas about what to do, but 
that kind of willingness by people at all levels of government that we need to do this and the engagement with the community to do things differently. And then I think we'll we'll start to see some action. What's the response been like uh, from policymakers uh, to this report? And, and can you talk about that? Well, I think um, a lot of policymakers really recognize the value of doing th- or that we need to do things differently, that there is value in a lot of the approaches that are seen to be effective elsewhere. I, uh, you know, but in, in changing policy is a complex thing in government because policy isn't always driven by good ideas um, or the will of the policy makers. Um, this is why I think engaging the public is important because as long as the general public believes that young people who are homeless are lazy or delinquent or bad kids that we don't want, then politicians aren't going to be driven to do anything about it. Sometimes I feel like we get the, you know, the government we deserve when when we have these kind of prejudiced ideas. So the public needs to have a better understanding, I think, about youth homelessness. That will push the politicians. I think if if ordinary citizens start demanding of their government that we do things differently around youth homelessness and we take the issue seriously, then I think you're going to see governments move. But as long as people are indifferent to it, I think it's harder from within government to create change. Across across Canada, we see a lot of cities stepping up to address things like homelessness and uh, rolling out action plans. Um, and I guess within the current um, economic and political context, is there do, do you have any unease with uh, cities so readily taking a stand and, and trying to, to address homelessness? Um, and does that in some ways um, let senior levels of government off the hook? Well, I think that the I, I actually support the the planned approach. Um, I think that our response to homelessness in most communities has developed in a really ad hoc, accidental way, and so there's a need to pull things together to create an organized, integrated system approach with real targets and to really tackle the problem in a comprehensive way. And I think um, the communities that have had the best success at at you know addressing homelessness and actually have reduced the numbers of homeless push upwards and demand that higher levels of government come to the table and invest right so no community can on its own just sort of like say oh we're going to plan this and implement this because it always will necessarily entail higher levels of government involvement in it so the communities have made the biggest strides on homelessness in Canada, I'd argue, are the ones in Alberta. And they've had partner, you know, the province is a partner in this path. And they've seen incredible results. You know, Edmonton's had a 30% reduction in overall homelessness in the last four years. Lethbridge, it's over 60%. Calgary, it's 11% after huge increases over the last decade with the oil boom. And Medicine Hat is poised to become the first community in Canada to actually and chronic homelessness. And all of those communities, again, have had the province there working to support them. The province is doing things very differently. And, you know, now we have the Government of Canada supporting a Housing First agenda. So I think, um, yeah, planned approaches can work, but they must involve all levels of government 
there must be investment by all levels of government, engagement by all levels of government, and a willingness to do things differently. What are the next steps uh, with this report and and looking to the future? Well, I think uh, part of it is to do as you say, which is to engage policymakers, but it's also to work with communities across Canada. There's lots of good work happening in different communities. There's a lot more interest in communities around doing strategic plans to end youth homelessness. I've heard this from Vancouver to Victoria to, you know, Calgary and uh, Kelowna and, you know, communities across Canada are now wanting to take a different approach and they'll be doing, you know, and they, they understand that they need other partners at the table to do this. So I think we're at actually an interesting moment where things may begin to shift. Um, there's that goodwill there. There's, again, we don't have to invent new ideas from scratch. There's lots of knowledge out there about what to do. Um, so we need some momentum, but we need those higher levels of government to step up. That's going to be the key thing. Any uh, concluding comments? Well, just I think, uh, you know, I, I'm excited by the idea that a lot of people in Canada want to address youth homelessness in a different way because I used to work in the homelessness sector in the 1990s and the older I get, it just, to me, becomes so ridiculous that we allow any young person to become mired in homelessness for any length of time at all. And when you see young people who are homeless for four, six, eight years, as a society, we should really, you know, take that very seriously and, and, and do what we can to make sure that never, ever happens. All young people in Canada, I think most Canadians would support this, that all young people deserve a chance to grow into adulthood in a healthy, healthiest way possible um, and have the opportunities for them, recognizing that different young people face different challenges, but if they're facing challenges, we're obliged to do something about it. We can't let this go on. It's just unreasonable. Well, Stephen, I want to thank you so much for your time and uh, for discussing this uh, very uh, thorough and and, uh, provocative report. Well, thank you. And people can get access to this report on the Homeless Hub if they just check that on the internet. Great. Thanks so much. Thank you. And that was Dr. Stephen Gates, and he is Associate Professor in the Faculty of Education at York University in Toronto, uh, and he's also the Director of the Canadian Homelessness Research Network, and he is author of a new report, uh, the focus of uh, our conversation, and that report's called Coming of Age, Reimagining the Response to Youth Homelessness in Canada, and you can find that off the Homeless Hub website. And... uh, Again, thank you so much for tuning in. This is The City here on CITR 101.9 FM, CITR.ca, and uh, we're also syndicated on CJSF 90.1 FM, and that's also CJSF.ca. If you missed any part of the program, you can download it as a podcast at thecityfm.org, and you can catch The City live here on CITR Tuesdays at 5 p.m. and syndicated on CJSF Fridays at 10 a.m. Be sure to follow The City on Twitter with the handle thecity underscore FM, and on Facebook by searching the City Critical Urban Discussions. Again, you can find this program as a podcast at thecityfm.org. That's www.thecityfm.org. I'm Andy Longhurst. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll be back next week with more Critical Urban Discussions. Have a great week. 
everybody should do in their lifetime sometime two things. One is to consider death. To observe skulls and skeletons and to wonder what it will be like to go to sleep and never wake up. That uh, is the most, is a very gloomy thing for contemplation. But it's like manure. Just as manure fertilizes the plants and so on, so the contemplation of death and the acceptance of death is very highly generative of creative life. You get wonderful things out of that. I found depravity 